Good morning, All Seasons. Good morning. Man, it's, it's, it gets gooder and gooder. Uh, it just gets gooder and gooder. I like it. And so it's so good to see you as we finish up today this, this final part of our series on seasons. So we've reached the last season, one we all like. It's called Fall. Fall is the harvest season. Fall is when all the work has been done. Everything has, has been transpired. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Exodus, Exodus 23, verses 14 through 17. Exodus 23, verses 14 through 17. As you're turning there, we have gone through the other seasons. We have gone through spring. We have gone through summer. We had to endure winters. And we finally reached this season, which is called fall. And what's been amazing is watching these little trees just go through from the month ago when we started this to where they were just bare-looking sticks. And now just leaving them outside, they're already starting to do what they were born to do, to produce. I can't wait to after this, we'll, we'll plant them on the side of the church and hopefully over the next years to come, we'll see pear trees and we'll, we'll see pears come off of it and we'll think, man, that was a series 10 years ago or five and it'll still be doing what it's meant to do. It's still cycling through the seasons and still producing fruit year after year after year. And in our lives, this is what God has called us to do. In fact, as we get to this season, and you turn with me, let's begin to read, and let me lay the groundwork for what I need to talk about when I talk about the season of fall. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days, and, and as I commanded you, and the time of appointed of the month of Abib. For in it you shall came out of Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. I love that. None shall appear before me empty. You will have fruit. You will have something to present to me at that time. Don't, don't come here and say, I've got nothing for you, God. No. When you appear before me, you will appear with a harvest that, that you have prepared. At the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors which you have sown in the field and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you have gathered the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times in the year, all of your males shall appear before the Lord. Now this appearing before the Lord, it did not mean even if you had an excuse the doctors of their time realized we, 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 you know, there was people with leprosy. There was No, no, this was the one time of the year that every male, sick, well, old, young, it did not matter. Every single male person would present themselves before the Lord. Every person had to come. It was your moment of accountability. Three times a year this took place. There are nine festivals or so in, in the Old Testament that are remembered, but these three are the main three. We, we know them by, by different names, the, the Feast of Passover, where Jesus is, is 
illustrated as our Passover lamb, what we just celebrated. But for their time, the feast of Passover was when they were in Egypt and they put the blood on the doorpost, they ate unleavened bread, and death angel went over and killed the firstborn of all those who did not have the blood applied to their life. They celebrated this every year that this was God delivering them out of the bondage of Egypt and having such a strong hand that he was able to protect them and deliver them. There is the feast of Pentecost or the feast of harvest, the the feast of weeks where they gathered together and it is the figs and the other things that they did not plant, they did not do, but God had given them a harvest that was not even theirs. The feast of Passover or Pentecost, which we celebrate now as Pentecost because God gave us something that we did not earn or deserve. The church, as it said, was birthed on the day of Pentecost. We call it Pentecostal. Why? Because on the day of Pentecost, God sent the gift of the Holy Spirit. God birthed the church and God fixed everything. Nothing that we did for ourselves, it was his and we have just been part of such a beautiful plan. Then there is the Feast of Tabernacle. This is the Feast of Ingathering or the Fall Feast. The times of the year that each one of these feasts take place is important because they all center around the harvest of different things. It's it's a celebration. And the celebration isn't just spiritual, as I just said, about different moments of their life, but each one was set at a time when also there was a harvest to take place. When we talk about the first one, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the feast took place during the time of the barley harvest. This barley harvest would have taken place in April. In April, they would have celebrated the barley harvest. They would have celebrated this harvest. Then secondly, we have the Feast uh, of, of Harvest, the first fruits of the labors, which are sung. We call it the Feast of Pentecost. This is 50 days after the Passover feast, 50 days past this moment, and this corresponded with May. In the month of May, you would have had this, the first fruits would have been taking place, different things of that nature. And then, of course, we know that the Feast of Tabernacle, which took place in the time of the fruit harvest, in the fall, as we want to call it, it's what we're talking about, the fall. In the fall, this harvest would have taken place, the grapes, the the other plants, the fig, the other fruit trees would have produced, and this took place in the month of October. All three of these festivals, you're like, Pastor, that's a lot to keep up. I'm not trying to get you to memorize all of this. What I'm trying to tell you is God is specific in describing and celebrating, even in the Old Testament, connecting the harvest with a moment of joy and a moment in your life that he says, I want to correspond it with something that I've done. I want you to have started in something. In Egypt, you started in bondage, but by harvest time, you were free. I want you to realize that you didn't have houses or land or anything, but by harvest time, you lived where you didn't start, and you had trees that you didn't plant, and you had grapevines you didn't produce, but God provided them. I want you to realize you started sowing and and, and doing it and you had no control of the rain and you had no control because I put you in a land that I control all of that. And if the rain stops, drought is quick, but I have given you the rain so that the figs and the grapes and everything has gone through its season and now you've reached a harvest. There's something about this moment of harvest. Listen, the vine, though, is, is not the same. We are the vines 
trying to produce the fruit. But by this time, it's long in the year. By this time, the vine is tired. It sags. It's torn. It's got scars where it didn't have scars. It's got dust all over. It doesn't look good anymore. In the spring, man, the leaves were all green and beautiful and everything was just, oh, the flowers and the smell and everything was awesome. And spring is long gone. And the heat of summer and the long journey has taken its place. And now as we come into fall, we look at the vine and we think, man, that is, that is bad. But listen now, the vine's beauty is in the spring. I heard Trent a while ago up here prophesying. I'm like, man, you need a hush. He's prophesying, hey, we're going to, this could be this, and we could move out to the interstate and have a church. And that's all good because that's spring. Look at the person beside us, that's spring. That's, that, that's all. Man, we all like when the leaves are green and everything's pretty, and it's like, I'm telling you, we can do it. There's a lot of things we can do, ain't it? We can lose 20 pounds. We could. <laughs> but we realize that spring is different than summer. And so we don't want the summer. We, so we, we forfeit, we forfeit our harvest. We forfeit that compliment that would come, uh, three months from now. And somebody said, man, you're like, you've lost some weight. You're looking good. We go, we go forfeit that. We just rather let somebody look at us and say, whoo, look at you, boy. That's okay. And so in our lives, yeah, we love the spring. That's our beauty. But listen to me. The fruit, the fruit is its beauty in the fall. It's, it's, listen, people will look at me many times. They're looking at me now a lot and they're saying, you look tired. I am tired. You look worn. I am worn. Like it's rough. It is rough. But listen, in the spring, when, in October, while, while a year ago, when we were dreaming, all, it was springtime. And man, that was fun. And that was all exciting. But see, most people don't understand that the beauty of it's not in the fall. The vine doesn't look good in the fall. The vine looks weighed down. The vine looks heavy. The vine looks like it could break. The vine looks like, man, I'm telling you, it's done, it's done had about all it can take. The tree is looking rough. Yes, it's got dust all over it. Yeah, it doesn't look as beautiful anymore. But nobody Nobody's paying attention to the vine anymore. Nobody cares about the vine anymore. You see, when, when people look at me and they say, man, you're looking rough. Yeah, but have you seen Caitlin and have you seen Taylor and have you seen Nathan? You see, it's okay the vine doesn't look as good. It, it put a lot of gray hair in my whole head, but that's all right. I don't care about the vine anymore. It's the fruit that makes all the difference anymore. You, In your life, you're as the vine, you realize that my beauty in the spring is my dreams. All I want to have and and and. You know how when you were pregnant, young ladies, and, and, and man, people say, you look so beautiful pregnant. You look so beautiful. Oh, you got such a glow about you. It's springtime. But you find them when that kid's three years old or two years old, or let's get a good note. When they're one year old, when they can just climb and just walk just enough to get into everything, but they ain't got enough sense to know not to. You see that mother walking around like, Telling you what, she's got a bag here, a diaper in one hand. She's like, you don't look at her and say, you look so beautiful. Oh, just hush. 
I know I don't look good. Why? Because the season had changed. I'm not in spring anymore. I'm in summer. I'm in, I'm in the wraps of summer, but I'm waiting for my fall. I'm waiting to when I can dress up. And Elise the other day was, was getting all excited. She said, I think I found a dress for Taylor's wedding. And I was just grinning on the inside. And I was thinking to myself, that's going to be a wonderful fall day. That's going to be a wonderful day where she gets to be mom again. And she gets to dress up. And she gets to say, not look at me, but look at the fruit. Look at my life. Look at what it's producing. Look at what it's done. That's what it's all about in life. We all want to dream of spring, but we don't want the summer. And then we don't want the fact that we're not the attention getter in the fall. Fall's about your fruit. Nobody's going to care about Pastor Lot and how many more gray hair or whether I still have hair. They're going to say, did you get the, did you get all that stuff built? Did you get it all done? Did you get finished? Yes. Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, they're going to walk by me sitting in a chair like, oh, man, I'm hurt. They're going to walk past me, and they're going to say, can I go see it? Yeah, yeah, go on out there. You want to go? No, no, I'm good. I've seen it a thousand times the last month. I, I've, I tell you every crack in that. I, I've seen it. I, I've been there. But you go ahead. Why? Because they want to see the harvest. They want to see the results. They want to see. And in your life, you need to realize this is what life is all about. It's what it's all about. So I don't care what I look like. I don't care that I look tired. I don't care that I look worn. That doesn't bother me. I've been through this seasons and seasons, through 20, 40 years of following him. I understand the process. Nobody wants to see me. They want to see the building. Nobody wants to see me. They want to see the church. Yesterday, it was so awesome, the ladies' ministry, and thank y'all so much for all of you that committed time and volunteered. All you ladies that were greeters, I'm going to tell you something. I got so many compliments on how, just with excellence, everything you did and how you, you are, you are my reward. That's the easiest way I can put it. Because I'm the vine in that. And nobody walked in and said, oh, Pastor Lot, you look so cool. Everybody walked past and said, oh, man, they're doing such a great, you, man, you got such a great group. You got, and I want to say, yeah, no idea. So I had to carry a long way now to get here. I had to get them through the door before they would even stand at a door. Nobody cared about that. They just saw the fruit. They saw fruit. Oh, God's been good to you. Oh, yeah. Through all the seasons, he's been good to me. But it took seasons for him to get. So I don't care what I look like. What I care about is the fruit that comes off. People will know you not by your vine. They'll know you by your fruit. And until we get that in our mind, that it doesn't matter what it takes to me. As, as John Wesley said it so well, who created the Methodist church and did an incredible job, his whole motto was, light me on both ends like a candle and watch me. Why? Because if you light me on both ends, I burn bright. I burn faster. I'll burn up. I'll just burn up to nothing. But that's okay because I wasn't born to last. I was born to put off light. In our lives, when we realize that, we can become world changers. Listen, people will ask the question, I, I don't know why you go out to that warfare-style church. I don't know why you go out to that church that does all that stuff. I mean, you all need to find you one at just, just an easy church, one that lets out at 12 o'clock every day, and, 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 you know, you get there on time for lunch. You need to find you a good church. 
preacher don't preach no crazy. He don't make you feel uncomfortable. He just makes you feel like you're loved and everybody's going to heaven. And, and you need to find a church like that. But I decided a long time ago that if I was going to do this, if, if I'm going, I wrote it this way to you. If I'm going to live it, I'm going to live it to the fullest. If I must produce, then I desire to do it to the fullest degree. If what I'm called to do is not to show up empty-handed, then my goal is not to show up with just something. I decided a long time ago, my goal is to show up with the most I can. That may not be your heart. You just need to find you a good church that just says, hey, we just got our favorite chair. You ain't got to worry about nobody ever coming in and getting your chair because nobody knew was coming. You ain't got to worry about nobody ruffling any feathers. We sang the same 12 songs. Everybody loves our songs. All 40 of us love these songs. But I decided a long time ago that if I'm going to do it, then I'm just going to do it with everything I got. And when I'm done, I'm done. That's okay, because the beauty's not in the tree. Beauty's not in the tree. The beauty's in the fruit. You'll be remembered for your fruit. You're awful quiet on me this morning, so I don't know if I'm doing good or not. We're just going to keep pressing on. Dying is part of the process that we have to go through. You know, a seed has to die to become a plant. The buds that come off of it have to die to produce the fruit. The fruit has to die to become ripe. The fruit doesn't say, well, I'm just going to stay real green and hard. That way nobody will ever bother me. No, it just keeps getting riper until it finally gets rotten. Rotten? Yeah. It starts to rot away from the cord, and when a, when a pear falls from the tree, it isn't falling because it's green. It's falling because it's dying. And the vine says, I have to die yearly to keep producing. Death is part of the process. And I know in our culture, that's, that's a no-no. I want, I want something that makes me feel more alive. I want something that makes me, well, you're going to wake up one day real disappointed. Because there won't be enough makeup and there won't be enough anything else you can find or there won't be enough warmth and there won't be enough cars and there won't be enough this or that and there won't be enough whatever you're chasing in life to find fulfillment. Because the beauty is not in the tree. The beauty is in your fruit. It's what you produce. That's what you'll be remembered for. Otherwise, when we all died, we just set my golf clubs over here and put a sign on it that said, I shot a 60-something one time in such and such golf course. That would be what I'd be. Or they would set a car over on the side of my, you know, drive it up into the funeral home, and there would be sit there. Or they'd have a big picture of my house sitting right there in front of me, and that's where they would put. You notice you don't see any of those things in a funeral home? You have one dead person laying there, and everybody walks by that dead person, just the shell of what used to be. And you know what they remember? The fruit. That's all they remember. Well, I remember Uncle So-and-so. He, was, he had such a sense of humor. He could make us laugh. Oh, I remember ain't so. You will be remembered for your fruit. 
well, I thought this was supposed to be the good season. It is. If you're a fruit bearer, man, you're excited. You got it figured. If you're not, it's depressing. For me, I'm excited because I realize as I'm getting dusty and I'm getting worn and the fruit's getting more ripe and harvest is close. And three times a year, we're supposed to celebrate that in the Old Testament. We are supposed to daily. Listen, your harvest time gives you energy. Remember Jesus, to show you how it works, remember Jesus when he goes and he's tired and he sits down by a well and the disciples look at him and they say, Lord, you look rough. You, you just stay right here, Lord, and we're going to go get into town here and get some food and get some stuff. We'll be right back. He's like, okay. But Jesus knows that something's fixing to happen in his spirit, so that's why he doesn't fuss with them. He just says, y'all go. While he's sitting there, comes this one lady walking up the hill. She walks at a specific time later than the other ladies would come because if she she would not be accepted. She's a harlot. She's done been married five times, living with someone else, and no one would want to walk with her, and no woman in her right mind of any class would want to be seen with her. So therefore, she would wait till the other women were gone, and by herself, she would be walking up the hill to get her water in the daytime, and there's Jesus sitting at the well, and they start up a conversation, and we know the story, if you've read it a million times, that, that they talk, and he offers her water, and he said, if you knew who I am, I'd give you water. She really realizes he's the Messiah, the Savior. She runs back into town. She tells everybody, you need to come meet the man. He told me all about my life, told me how many times I've been married, told me I'm, I'm shacking up now. He, I mean, he told me everything. This is the one we've been waiting for. And, and, and the disciples come back to Jesus. And when they get back to Jesus, who was tired and worn and just wore out, and they look at him, and the Bible says when they saw him, he looked as though he had eaten something. He looked refreshed, and, 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 and they were like, Lord, what happened? He said, I have food that you know not of. In other words, I'm not the fruit, I'm the vine. But the fact is, is that when I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, I get the nutrients I'm supposed to get. It's not about me, but when I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, it renews my energy, it renews my life. In my life, I can be going through it, I can, I can be facing it, I can be in, enduring it, and all of a sudden I'll get a phone call and somebody say, hey, Brother Lot, just wanted to let you know so-and-so came home from the hospital. Oh, praise God. I mean, it's like energy shoots through me. It's like, hey, the results came back negative. They couldn't find anything on the x-rays. I'm like, energy fires through me. It's like somebody says, you know what, Brother Lot, we decided not to get divorced. We, we, we listened to one of your sermons, and when we did, we decided to pray, and, and we were doing better than we ever have. Energy begins to flow through me. Why? Because my whole life is built on the purpose of producing fruit, not just trying to look pretty in the springtime. And your energy... So what happens is, when it happens, that's why I have to be careful, Trent says, stuff like that. Because as soon as I get through with the harvest, you know what the vine's desire is? Let's do another harvest. That's why somebody will ask me later, they'll say, what are we going to do next? Nothing. You know when they're asking me that? Winter. I'm like, I don't do nothing. I'm tired. I don't even like you right now. Why are you in my face? tired but oh there'll come a moment when God will spark something and he'll say can I show you something and spring will come back around because that's what you were born to do you were born to produce not 
one for one, but 30 and 60 and 100 fold. You weren't designed just to get by. You were designed to make a difference in whatever area, whether it's medical or whether it's teaching a class, whether whatever field he called you in, whatever family he put you in, you were designed to produce a harvest. Let me put it to you this way. He, he keeps improving your dream. He keeps improving your dream. Abraham had a promise. Abraham had the promise of a seed. He said, I'm going through, through you, Abraham. You're going to have a child. And through that child, you're going to, to have children all over. Look up at the stars. I mean, I mean you're going to have more children than the stars. You're going to have, I mean, it's going to be, your, your, your family is going to be huge. And Abraham's like, yes. So in that seed, in that promise, Abraham then has Isaac, and now he loves Isaac. Isaac is growing. He's some 12 to 20-something years old now. The Bible doesn't give us the exact age. He's, he's in that young age where he's just fixing to start moving into manhood, and, and, and all of a sudden, God comes to Abraham and says, now it's time for a new season. God, he's like, thank you, God. Thank you for Isaac. Thank you for all the blessings. Thank, thank you for everything. And God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. New spring, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to sacrifice him for me. What? Lord, I waited 25 years for that one, one crop. I know, but I want, you to, I want you to reprune it. I want you to, I want you to go back through it. I, I've got a vision I want to give you. And I want you to go back. Why, God? Don't worry about why. Just Go and sacrifice Isaac. And he takes Isaac. He takes Isaac and he gets up on the mountain. He draws back. He would have taken and the angel says, do him no harm. And God begins to speak to Abraham again. And he says, Abraham, now that I know that you would sacrifice, now that I know you would hold nothing and me and you are best friends, then God gives him a bigger vision. He said, not only will you be have many children, but you'll be the father of many nations. See, if Abraham hadn't have done what he would have done, God wouldn't have trusted him to give him Tim Lot. Because I'm one of the children of Abraham. I'm not a children of Israel. I'm a children of Abraham. I, I go way back. I go back to the original. Back to the original, we all go into being children of Abraham because Abraham believed in a harvest way before he ever saw. He was willing to sacrifice what he had for a bigger harvest to come. And that's what it's all about in harvest. Harvest, listen to me, is God improving your dream. If God gives you a harvest, all it does is it makes you think God can do something bigger. There's nothing I've ever done that I walked away and said, well, that's about all I think God can handle. Every time I've walked away thinking, wow, God did that pretty easily. I wonder, I wonder if he could do this. God says, I can but every dream along the way increases your ability to believe that he can do something greater. Let me show it to you this way. Jesus in the New Testament, same scenario. Jesus has his disciples, spends three years with them, raises dead people, heals leprosy, walks on water. The dude is bad. The disciples have already got it fixed in their mind. They're like, we know what's fixing to happen. He's fixing to overthrow the... I mean, this dude could speak one word and every Roman soldier would just fall over dead. I mean, he's got that kind of power. I mean... He, he could call storms on them. He could do what? I mean, this guy is unstoppable. 
And they got it all figured out, man. We're all going to be captains and we're going to be leaders in this. We're going to have some, well, we're going to have some threads. We are going, we are going to be dressed to the nines and them Romans are going to be walking in our dust and they're going to be doing what we want them to do. I mean, Jesus is fixing to take this thing on and Jesus looks at them and says, guys, uh, I'm fixing to leave. What? We're just where we did. Man, we got thousands of people following us. We got an army, God. Lord, even Peter, I mean, you know, Peter's smart. Peter calls him off to the side and says, Lord, I mean, I don't know if you, you've been preaching too much, need to take a sabbatical. But, but you need to hush on this stuff now. You're scaring people. And Jesus looks right at his main disciple and says, Get behind me, Satan. He said, you mind the things of the flesh. You like the spring. But you don't mind the things of God. You don't like the summer. And you don't want to harvest. That's what he's telling him. You like it when it all looks good and feels good. That's what you like. You like it the dream side. He's fun over there, ain't it, Peter, dreaming about how you're going to be a captain and dreaming how you... But God's got bigger fish to fry. He tells Peter, get behind me. I've got to go. But see, what they didn't understand was there's a bigger harvest to come. They didn't understand that what we're celebrating today, 2,000 years later, Peter had no idea that there would be people in a church all over the world celebrating that Jesus Christ didn't just die. He didn't just go to the grave, but that the grave couldn't hold him. They couldn't understand. Even Satan himself couldn't. If they had known, the Bible said, if they had known what they were doing, they wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't have released him. They wouldn't have killed him. Why? Because they thought by killing him, we're just going to end it. But by killing him, you released him. You created the king. You created the, the savior. You created one that could go. Now, all over the world, there wasn't just one Peter and one James and one John, but through the Holy Spirit now, thousands on the day when Peter preaches his first sermon, thousands get saved. Thousands become Christian. Thousands become followers. And the Bible said they multiplied. They didn't just have addition. They multiplied. Those people began to change the world because God had a dream bigger for the vine than they did. Don't you realize, remember when we studied it, he said, the father's the gardener. And the gardener knows what the tree is capable of. If you want to make me cry, all you have to do is start walking me through my life. And what you're doing is, is you're reminding me that God always had bigger plans and bigger visions and bigger than I ever had for my own life. The dumbest thing you'll ever ask me is, Brother Lot, did you see all this? Oh, Lord, no. No. I saw a two-bedroom house. In fact, the first house we ever lived in, me and Elise, I thought, this is it. This is where we'll be. We lived in Mabin, Mississippi. And it was just one little house. The water heater and the bathroom was in one corner. It was a, it was a, you walked in the front door and then there was like a, T cut in the house. So you walk through one area, there was your living room. You walk through the next area, there was your living room, bedroom. You walk through the next area, there was your bathroom. And if you made the whole circle, you went back to your kitchen. So there was just four openings, and that was the house. And I thought, well, I've arrived. This is ministry. I'll be doing ministry now for the rest of my life, just like my mother and my father. I'll, this is where I'll be. And Lord, I never had any idea in my life. Elise probably did, but I had no idea in my life. 
that I would ever get to see Israel or take trips with Elise or watch three children grow up or watch all of you or meet all of you. I had nothing in my mind to watch Jennifer from the time she was little, watch her play softball and growing up and then watch her get married and watch her have children and that I would be picking with her kids. And No. Only the gardener. Only the gardener has the ability to see what's in you. The worst thing you'll ever do is try to determine what you can do. The best thing you'll ever say about yourself is, I can do all things through Christ. And realize that when you say that, you have no idea what you just said. I can do all things. And your mind will think, yeah, I can do this. No, 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 just, just say, I can do all things and let it stop. Because only the gardener knows what you can do. Only God knows. Jesus would looked at Peter and he would have said, you want a city, Peter. You want, a, you want Jerusalem. You want to be, but my Father wants the world. Do you realize, I want to preach a series one day on the things God likes. And one of those things is this. Do you know how excited God gets when you produce fruit? Now, I know how excited you get. You know, when God answers a prayer, we always call it, boy, God answered my prayer. God gave me a miracle. You think you get excited. But do you realize how excited God gets when one of his children goes through the process and goes through spring when God says, you can have that miracle. Really? I'm not sure I can have that. You can have that miracle. You can have it. I'm not sure. You believe in it. Okay, I'm going to believe in it. And, and I'm going I'm to start filling up. And I'm going to start filling up with your goodness. And I'm going to start filling up with faith. And I'm going to start filling up. And, and, and then all of a sudden you go through summer when somebody says, no, I don't know if it will ever have. I'm believing God. I'm believing for it. I'm holding on to it. And when you keep going through summer and you're getting weak, but the fruit's getting bigger. And in one day, all of a sudden, the harvest takes place and somebody walks by and says man look what God did look at that miracle look look what God did and and you're sitting there saying yes yes God did wonderful do you realize how excited in heaven God gets when he jumps up from his throne and says yes one of my kids followed it through I wasn't short I was never holding out they walked the path they finished the course they did what they were supposed to do I don't think we realize how excited God gets at the miracle you're believing for. But God realizes it has to go through its process. We think God isn't listening. and God, Yeah, He is. He just can't rush the process. You must go through your winter. You've got to go through the spring. There has to be a summer to get to your harvest. You don't start at harvest. Harvest is a celebration of what God brought you through. Harvest is the proof. Harvest is the proof that we have to see it through. I'm going to share it to you this way and I'm through. The first miracle, of all the miracles that Jesus could have done, go with me in your Bible to John 2, 1 through 10. It's a story. John 2, 1 through 10. It's the story of, of the miracle in Canaan. And, and 
this is odd within itself because if I'm God and I want to introduce my son to the world, I mean, he could have went to a graveyard and raised two or three people and just said, I'm here. He, he, he could have done something elaborate that would have just introduced him. And, and I'm thinking, God, you... But it's just like God to keep showing the picture of what he'll always do through all eternity. Let me show it. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. So his mother's already there. The wedding's starting to go on. And Jesus arrives somewhere in the process with his disciples. He, he probably doesn't have all 12 right now. He's probably got five or six of his disciples. He hasn't collected all of them yet. This is early in his ministry. In fact, he hasn't even started doing any miracles, hasn't started doing it. He's just calling people. And as he's calling people, he says, well, let's take a break and let's go to this wedding my mother has invited me to and, and, and some people that I know. And so As he enters in, notice what happens. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. So Jesus' mother goes to there and says, they need wine. They need fruit. Jesus said to her, woman. Now this means when he says woman, he doesn't say mom mother. This means probably his father is already dead because now he's the head of the household, so therefore he has taken the position of authority. So he looks at her and it's not a derogatory. What the word woman there means is madam. Madam? In other words, I'm the head now. I'm not, I'm not under my father anymore. I'm, I'm the head. Madam, what does your concern have to do with me? Ooh, that's kind of mean. What does your concern have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. It ain't time for me to start miracles. It's not time for me to begin to show my power. It's not time. But something in Mary, some revelation that Mary has that Jesus hasn't got yet is pushing her. In fact, I believe the very first miracle isn't even a miracle that Jesus wanted to do. It's a miracle that God wanted to do and used Mary to prepare it. Jesus is still like, nah, it'll happen when it's time. And Mary's like, it's time. I'm telling you, right now is the time. And she may not understand it, and, and Jesus doesn't understand it, but the Father does. The Father who is the gardener says, this is the perfect illustration of what I want to show. Mary, you push him. You push him. So what does she do? His mother said unto the servant, she just quit talking to Jesus. He said, Madam, you know it's not my time. What are you bothering me for? What's that got to do with me? And she just said, And she turns around to the servants who are standing there, and this is what she said. She says, whatever he says to do, you do it. So she just walks away like, "Mm." That's just like her mom, ain't ain't that just like mom? Just leave you hanging. So basically you got all these servants standing there looking at Jesus, and Jesus is like, oh, man. Well, what do you want us to do? 
and I'll give you something how it's very important. This this be something very important for you to realize. These were the last words ever recorded of Mary. The last words ever recorded of Mary was looking at servants and telling them, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Those were her last words that we have recorded in the Bible. I don't think that's ironic. And I ain't got time to preach that. Now there were set six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20, 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said unto them, draw some or fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. And he said, draw some out of it now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water, there was, it was made wine and did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said unto him, every man at the beginning sets the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then he, the inferior, You have kept the good wine until now. Two things. Number one, Jesus in this first miracle is declaring to the world, I am the Lord of the harvest. There's nobody but me. They can take water that's used to wash feet. That's why the pots were empty. It was a purification. In other words, you had all these big water pots and all these people showing up to a wedding. Get this in your mind. These seven water pots that are sitting there are not these beautiful, like, like just water pots that are used for, for ornament. They're water pots because people are dipping out of them and they're, as you come up and you got sheep poop between your toes and you got junk on your hands, you walk up and, and they, 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 give you water to wash your feet. And they had used it all up. All the pots were empty. They had done used all the water. So all the guests had arrived. Everything, the only thing was left was these crummy pots that were used to wash feet. And he says, take those pots and fill them with water. Water? Dirty pots filled with water. And now dip out of that and give to someone who would know what it's supposed to taste like. Give it to the master of the harvest. Give it to the one who's over the wedding. We'd call him a wedding coordinator. Go give the wedding coordinator that, that what you just dipped out and let him taste of it. And the wedding coordinator, before he takes it to the main table, dips out of it and tastes it and says, what, what is this? Where did this wine come from? The servants knew where it came from. It came from dirty pots filled with just regular water. How? And he calls the young bridegroom and he says, what have you done? We served the best wine we had. We've served the best wine we had for the last several days. The best. And yet now you brought me this wine. And this wine tastes better than any wine we have served before. And it came out of dirty pots filled with nothing but water. 
don't tell me he's not the Lord of the harvest. He can take what wasn't and create what the world can't reproduce. He is the Lord of the harvest. When you give your life to him and you say, God, I can't. God, I'm not able. Listen to me. He is the Lord of the harvest. Number two, what was used as waste. You may be in this room and you say, Brother Lot, I can't. I can't. I, I don't. I... Let me just go ahead and give you a, a good word. You're right. You can't. Neither could those water pots. Neither could that plain water. But in the hands of the Master, you can do what you never thought possible. And you can be what you never thought possible. And things that people call miracles are what God just calls harvest. You had a miracle. No, I just went through winter, spring, summer, and I got to my fall. The lady with the issue of blood is our story. That's why we use it so many times. She was in winter. She'd spent all she had. She had nothing. But somewhere in that winter of God trimming her back and hurting, it seemed like her, and making her less, and what he was really doing was preparing her for spring. Somebody along the way told her, hey, Jesus is coming through. Jesus is coming through. And the Bible says that she said within herself, if I could but touch the hem of his garment, I could be made whole. That spring. Summer came. She had to press through the crowd. She pushed through. Oh, it's too hard. I just need to quit. I'm not even supposed to be in here. I'm sick. If they find out I'm sick, they're liable to stone me. Oh, man. It's just, she presses through until she finally touches him. Till she reaches her harvest. Jesus doesn't get mad at her. Jesus doesn't get upset. He looks at her and says, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. We call it a miracle. God calls it your harvest. In my life, I've had a lot of harvest. I've been blessed with a lot of harvest. But don't be mistaken. If you watch me get out of a car and watch me try to walk, watch me go around, you'll say, Ooh, Pastor Lodge, you need to slow down. You, you, you're, you're wearing yourself out. You, you can't have both. It's all right. One day somebody may have to just, like Moses of old, hold up one arm and the other. That's okay. As long as we win the battle, it's okay. I don't care. The vine is not what's important. It's the fruit. Will you stand? With every head bowed, Father, thank you for harvest. Some of us in this room, we had a harvest and found the mate, our, our wife, our husband, that was a harvest. Some of us have had children and we've had harvest. 
Some of us you've blessed with jobs and just opened doors that nobody could have opened. Those are harvests. Just the fact that you kept us safe. Some of us have been in car wrecks that we should have died. We've been in situations we shouldn't have been able to get out of. But God, you kept bringing harvests. You didn't do it because that was where you wanted us to say that's enough. You did it so that when you come to us next and say, hey, would you trust me here? Do you think we could do this? Then you can say like the prophet of old, is there anything too hard for God? No. There's not. There's nothing that's too hard because I've been through too many, too many things. Seen too many harvests. And there's someone in this room this morning, Lord, that needs to remember all you've brought them through to remind them that, yes, they can go through this too. They will reach their harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for letting me go through this series. I hope it's blessed you. Looking forward to next week and Easter. Don't miss it. we got some fun stuff that we'll be doing. And, and if you got a chance to invite somebody, you know Easter is the best day to do it. See you next week at 9 o'clock.